Welcome to episode six. In this episode, Council Register tells John and Routhog the story of Chenille, a young woman who is scratched by a church key and must sleep for 100 years before finally being waked up by a wealthy young man named William Gates. In one's time, you'll meet John Spellman. So tell me, what's the story? John's friend, Council Register. Mutter, mutter, watermelon. Mutter, mutter. And Route Hog. Hey, sorry to scare you. I, I just wanted to tell you that old story about the sleeping girl in the woods. Council hollered at us, and Route Hog and I jump out of our skins. We didn't know it then. It was him, but all we heard was someone close behind us has just screamed almost directly in our ears. Half ducking, our arms raised to protect ourselves, we spin around, still sitting down, to confront the menace at our backs. And Hogg and I recognize simultaneously that the noisemaker is Council Register, our mutual friend. Oh, by golly, he bellows. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's me, Council. I'm sorry. I, I sure didn't mean to scare you. I was just so surprised. You were surprised, I say, as I brush a puddle of hot chocolate off my lap and grab my mug where it had landed at the edge of the fire pit. Well, I sure was. I mean, I knew I could find this place in the dark and I saw your fire, but I sure didn't expect it to be both of you, Hog and you. How are you, John? Well, I'm good, Council, but what are you doing here and why were you out walking a trail after dark? Well, I told the Hog here that I would meet him this evening. I just got delayed a bit. I turned to Route Hog. Oh, you knew Council was coming? Well, said Hawk, he said he would, but he wasn't here, so I figured. Hey, Smellman, how's that goofy loud dog you got? Had to leave my dog at home. Got a bum leg. But I guess what you really want to know is what held me up, don't you? Uh, yeah, I said, all right, sure. Uh, hey, Council. What held you up? Council dropped his pack on the ground, opened up an outside pocket, and extracted a pouch half full of turkey jerky and sat down between Route Hog and me by the fire. Well, I'll tell you, he said. I was listening to a story. Found out that old story about the sleeping girl in the wood might actually be true. And it seems that it actually happened right near here. What girl, I said. What girl? Sleeping where? Oh, come on, said Rathog. You never heard about the sleeping girl? No, not that I remember. Well, tell him, Council. Well, it all took place in a big old house. Oh, I said, I know about that house. The one by the Greg Pick, Big Creek Pool? Rathog was telling me. No, not that one, said Council. This is a house that has been unseen for ever, almost. I mean, nobody's hardly ever seen it before. But this very afternoon, a fellow showed it to me. 
Now, I looked at it pretty carefully, and I think it's the one. I mean, it fits the story. It has a tower and everything, and it's only about a mile from here, and just a short foot slog off the trail. So I said, tell me, what's the story? Well, said counsel, see, once time, there was a very rich man and woman who were sad, oh, so sad, so sad that they had no children. They tried everything in order to have a child, all the usual stuff and a few unusual things, and, and they read all the books. They went to visit white-haired wise ladies and secret old crones. They tried all the potions and lotions they could find. They even went to Florida to seek the fountain of youth. Always were tried, and nothing helped. No child came. But then, one day, as the rich lady was a-sitting in her private swimming hole on the creek, a big frog appeared right out of the water and says to her, I'm a messenger. Your wish shall be fulfilled. Before the year's out, you shall give birth to a daughter. And I tell you, Smillman, Nine months later, the rich lady had a daughter. That little girl was very beautiful, green-eyed, smooth, cool like water. One spring day, when she was still tiny, a big swarm of bees flew onto her and covered her from head to toe, but they did not sting or hurt her. Instead, they carried honey to her lips, and her entire body glowed through and through with an even more radiant beauty. And that girl's proud father, in gratitude and joy, decided to hold a large and luxurious naming feast. See, her name, after her grandfather, was to be Shaneel. And he invited all his friends, acquaintances, relatives, business contacts, and everyone of importance in a five-county area. And he also invited all the wisest and magical old women, well, some of them was young, that he, uh, wise women, magical ones, he could locate in the hopes that they would be kind and generous with presents and prophecies for his beloved daughter. Now, seven of these ladies were found and divided to dine at a special table at the feast. And each of them was given a magnificent golden platter and an expensive jade box holding a spoon, knife, and fork all studded with rubies and diamonds. But as they were sitting down, into the hall came an eighth-wish woman, an old and bitter person who had not been invited because she'd been in her ivory tower so long she'd been thought to be either dead or turned into stone. Only seven special golden place settings had been made, so although the eighth enchantress was immediately invited to sit down and eat with the others, she had to eat from just standard platters of silver and pearl. Well, as that angry, bitter crone wolfed her food down, she began to mutter what sounded like threats. Yeah, I like this, said Rat Hog. Mutter, mutter, watermelon, water, utter, ugly, nasty, bad things, nothing happy. Yeah, yeah, right, Hog. So one of the other wise women, judging that the evil one might bequeath the child some awful gift, hid herself behind the draperies so that she could be sure to be the last to speak and thus repair as much as possible any curse of despair that the ugly, vengeful hag might make. 
So after a series of splendid good wishes from visiting VIPs, the wise and magical women began to offer their gifts to little Shawneel. One said that she would continue to be the most beautiful human in the world. The next, that she would have the soul of an angel. The third, that she would have a notable and admirable grace in everything that she did. The fourth, the fourth woman said that she would have the sense of humor of a famous stand-up comedian. And the fifth one, she said that Shanil should speak with the power and wisdom of a griot and have the singing voice of Dolly Parton. And the sixth, that she should, like her mother, have high-level chemistry and engineering skills. And then came the turn of the uninvited and cruel guest. Her head shaken with sprite, Routhog said. She declared that Chanel would have her ugly little hand deeply scratched with a bottle opener and would suffer horribly from pain and putrefaction until she died. And then that wicked old thing screamed loudly, ah, and disappeared. And immediately, the seventh magical woman came from behind the drapes and spoke these words. This child will live in total safety for 25 years. But in her 26 years, she will, it is true, be nicked by a bottle opener. Now, I cannot change that, but Chanel shall not suffer and she shall not die. She will merely fall into a deep sleep that will last 100 years, at the end of which a young man of great worth shall come along and wake her and love her deeply and well. <laughs> at this point, I'm wondering, okay, do I tell counsel that I've heard this story? I don't think he just discovered it. So, says counsel, let me move on here. The rich man then told everybody at that banquet party to go out and destroy every bottle opener in the whole region so that nothing like that would hurt his daughter. And he did everything he could to see to it that in his land, no bottle openers or anything similar to them should ever be used, manufactured, imported, loaned out, or put together from either foreign or domestic parts. And starting that night and for years and years after, all bottles everywhere was opened only with large church keys. And meanwhile, all the gifts of the good wise women fulfilled their promise in every way. Chenille was beautiful, soulful, funny, and graceful. She loved a good joke, could tell a sweet, sad story, and played music and sang like a major recording artist. She never had any pimples. Her hair was always clean, and she amazed everyone with a sophisticated series of math tricks and her surprising knowledge of really useful chemistry. But then, one day, in her 26th year, when Chanel's parents were away on vacation, she was wandering around their estate, bored and distracted, wishing she could meet a good man bring him into her life. And she come to an old tower that she'd hardly even noticed before. And she opened the ancient door at its base, climbed its narrow winding staircase, and came to a small door. 
She turned its large, rusty knob, and the door popped wide open, and in a tiny room, littered with empty bottles, hundreds of empty bottles, Chanel saw an old, old woman with white, white hair. Hello, come on in, she said, as she used a bottle opener to take the top off several more large beverage containers. Oh, asked Chanel, what is that bright, shiny thing that pops the tops off your drinks? Is that a special kind of church key? No, silly, it's a bottle opener, said the old lady. You want to try it? Oh, yes, said Chanel, but as soon as she touched the shiny metal, whether her reach was too fast or grabby or from her not being handy or from the magical decree, no one really knows. But she immediately nicked her hand and, boom, fell down in a deep somnambulated swoon, landed on a grimy cot in the corner of the dirty room. But her swooning did not diminish even one jot of her beauty. Her cheeks remained like carnations and her lips like coral, and that dingy bed turned into a queen-sized sleeping platform, all embroidered with gold and silver. And at that same moment everywhere, this is true, throughout the entire estate, everybody fell asleep. The maids, the security staff, the butlers, the janitors, the errand boys, the doormen, elevator operators, they all fell asleep where they were. In the kitchen, as the barbecue stopped its sizzle, the cook, who was just about to pull a busboy's hair because he'd belched near the salad table, stopped in mid-reach and fell asleep. And even the animals slept. The cats dozed on windowsills, the horses slept in the stables and stalls, the pigeons on the roof were still, and the flies on the wall were frozen in place. The fire flickered and the hearth grew quiet and still. Even the breeze died down and not a leaf stirred on the trees or on the delicate lace at Chanel's throat. Old Blue, her little miniature bloodhound, slept like a tiny log at the foot of her bed. And then, overnight, there grew up all round about that estate an enormous number of trees, big and small, in expansive, thick groves. And there were masses of bushes and brambles, all twined one within another, so that neither man nor beast could pass through them. And this, too, was done by magic, so that Shanil, as she lay asleep, would have nothing to fear from any curious animals or people. And then, finally, once time, a hundred years later, the son of the wealthiest family then alive, a lonely and geeky young man, his name was William Randall Gates, Young Mr. Gates was hunting in that part of the woods, and he happened to ask some people what those towers were, which he thought he'd barely seen poking out of the top of a great thick wood. And everyone answered him according to what story they had heard. Some said that it was a ruined old castle haunted by evil spirits. Others said that all the witches in the county kept their Sabbath and held their other evil meetings there. 
But the most common version of the tale was that an ogre lived there and that he carried into that estate all the children he could catch so that he might eat them at his ease. Well, William Randall Gates was now in a quandary, not knowing what to believe, when a very old and honest-looking fellow said to him, Mr. Gates, may it please your worthy young self, but it's now about 50 years since I heard a story from my father who had heard it from his father, who was a man once employed by a very large, wealthy family. The story was that there was long ago in this area a large estate, and that living there had been a young woman, the most beautiful ever seen, but that she was condemned to sleep there 100 years until she should be waked by a rich man's son for whom she was reserved. Wow. William Randall, lonely as he was, believed this version of the tale and was now all on fire at these words and instantly believed that he would be the one to put an end to the girl's sleepy isolation. And so pushed on by honor and the hope of love, he proceeded directly into the thick forest and dense brambles and almost as if by magic they all gave way and let him pass easily through. He walked directly up toward the mansion, which lay at the end of a wide drive, and come into a large exterior courtyard. And everywhere there were the stretched-out bodies of people and animals, all as still as stone. And he thought them dead, until he noticed a possum was breathing and saw the pink faces and red noses of security guards, and he noticed that some of their goblets still held some drops of wine, which showed plainly that they must have fallen asleep in their cups. A well, young Mr. Gates then crossed an area paved with marble, went up some stairs, and come into a small greenhouse where three gardeners were standing and snoring as loudly as a wood full of crickets. And after that, he went through several rooms full of men and women, all of them asleep, some of them standing, others sitting, one leaning on a mantelpiece. And at last, the young man climbed up into a high chamber in an old tower where he saw upon a bed the finest sight that he had ever seen. A young woman of 25 or 26 years of age whose bright beauty had something in it almost divine, and shaking with passion, filled with admiration and awe, he approached her and fell down on his knees, and instantly Chenille's eyes popped open. The terrible spell was ended. She was wide awake. She gazed at William Randall Gates with a look more tender than a doe might level at a five-point buck, and she said, Oh, is it you, my sweet man? Oh, at last. You have been such a long time coming. Well, William, charmed with both these words and the way in which they were said, did not know how to show his joy. He told her that he knew it might sound odd, but he already loved her better than he did himself. And I love you as well, she said. I love you without reservation. And they talked and talked together for more than eight hours. But they said less than half what was in their hearts, for their conversation was not 
well-connected. Sometimes they cried or kissed and sighed and laughed and talked and kissed, etc., a great deal more. Little eloquence, I'd say. Little eloquence and a great deal of love. And William was more at a loss than she. But no wonder she had a great deal of time to think on what to say to her rescuer, for the good magical woman had given her to enliven her long sleep a series of very agreeable dreams. Now, in the meantime, all the palace slowly awaked until everyone was continuing upon their long interrupted business. And eventually, since none of them were freshly in love, they grew more and more ravenous with hunger. And the family's portly chief of staff, having a bigger appetite than anyone else on the grounds, grew very impatient and finally sent word to Shaniel that ma'am's supper must be served. And William helped Chenille to rise. And then she dressed, magnificently so, in an old-fashioned style. But young Gates was a gentleman, and he took care not to tell her that while she reminded him of images of his great-grandmother, she really looked quite charming and beautiful in old-timey lace and buttons. And this happy couple were served a sumptuous dinner by the butlers and waitresses. The dance band played old tunes, most of which held up real well, as did the instruments and the musicians themselves. And after a dance or two, without losing any time, the lovers were led by the preacher into the little chapel on the grounds and were married, and then led to the master bedroom on the fourth floor and left alone. Oh, their love was total bliss to them both, and they lived happy till after I, ever after, I said. Yeah, I know this story, till ever after. Oh, no, said Rathaug, not, 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 not till ever after, not at all. Uh-uh, how long did it last, counsel? Well, not long. The happiness ended in just a few years.